Good morning, y'all. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, well, my name is Chris Romine. Uh, it is not Romaine, though I've been tortured my whole life. I'm 35 years old. I've, they've, no one's ever gotten it right. There's no A in there. My entire life, all through school, I've been the lettuce. So <laughs> it's my problem. Um, I want to say thanks uh, for inviting me to Common Ground. Uh, as Angela mentioned, I am gathering. Oh, there's a whole new dynamic. Y'all are up there. I'll try to send some eyes. Hi. Um, that way. Uh, I am gathering a church called Common Ground. We just named ourselves. Uh, we meet in Gramercy. We're like an infancy church. So like lots of promise. Think of like a, like a baby, like tons of promise, very fragile. So, so we're kind of like at the very beginning stages. Um, but as Angela said, yes, we're affiliated. I look up to Jonathan as a friend. I look up to Mira as a friend. Um, I was actually living in LA in grad school. I'm from New York, but went to LA for grad school, then came back. And when I was looking for an expression akin to what I was trying to gather, I found Forefront. Uh, so our church is akin to what y'all are doing. Uh, intersectional, anti-racist, safe for those, uh, for, for however you identify, whoever you love. Um, we believe that it's important to create space the way God's created space for us. Um, so I'm always glad to be here. I was saying last, sermon, uh, last, last service that uh, uh, Mira, when she speaks, I, I often shed a tear. I'm not a big crier, but Mira gets it. And she came to Common Ground a couple months ago and preached, and we had wet eyes. And Jonathan is funny because he's all, there's always that one moment in his sermon where he's going like, to give, give the eye thing. Like, <laughs> if y'all don't know what I'm talking about now, you'll notice it. He's like, real passionate. He's like, you know, it's like the... <laughs> WWEI. Um, anyway, that's me. Uh, and this is common. Uh, I'm coming from Common Ground. We meet at 5 p.m. in Gramerson, Gramercy. Uh, shameless plug. If y'all know someone who's looking to get back into church in New York City over the river, uh, a church akin to Forefront, um, then I would love to be in touch with them. Uh, we want to create the same space, same safe space that y'all are creating. Okay, so pleasantries behind us. Uh, what Forefront is actually doing, what y'all are doing in terms of your mission locally here in Brooklyn and, and the wider country and the wider city is relevant to our sermon today. Uh, good, you have it up. Uh, because y'all have been in a series uh, on Psalm 23, which is one of the most famous psalms in the book, of course, uh, one of the most memorable, one of the most quoted. I suspect most of us could, uh, at minimum, fumble through the words, if not know them outright, right, verbatim. Uh, non-religious and religious folk uh, know this psalm, um, and uh, so it's no stranger to us. Uh, so I think it's good that Forefront's taking each verse one by one and going through it, so as to resist the potential of losing the beauty of the prayer itself, of the poem itself, right? Because this is what we tend to do as uh, a species. We memorize something, and then we actually like log it in the back of our head. It stops, stops hitting us the same way it did the first time. Uh, this is true of the Lord's Prayer. And yet, uh, because it's some beautiful scripture coming out of the Word of God, uh, I believe it's important for us to build a posture of receptivity um, and remembrance, as the Psalms invite us to do. So today I'm focused on verse 6 in Psalm 23, which reads, uh, Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm overall is ascribed to King David. It is short and sweet, and like many of the psalms, follows a particular formula. It's kind of a standard formula for psalms. Remember, psalms are poems or songs with poetic structure, with choruses, with stanza. Uh, this could be recited publicly, likely was recited publicly at the temple 
um, during ancient Israel times. So we need to remember that anytime we read something like this, that it's not making like, it's not staking giant theological um, tenets or forcing us to engage in a ton of scholarship. They're prayers and poems that we cling to regardless of where we're at in life. So I think ultimately that's what makes Psalms so accessible to us. That's what makes Psalm 23 so accessible, so memorable. It's a piece of art ascribed to a man, David, who had no shortage of personal failings. Uh, he often found himself in different, difficult circumstances. And again, I think if we're honest, we can probably relate at least a little bit to the fact that David would get himself into trouble every now and again. Um, so, like King David, I have done stupid enough things to hurt myself and ultimately hurt others. Some of these have been unintentional things, and if I'm honest, some others um, have been more intentional. And like King David, I have also had things done to me and been put in situations that were maybe not deserved. In short, I've been a victim of injustice at times in my 35 years on earth. I felt at times, regardless of either category, that I've been in the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death. But in both instances, in both categories, I can look back and see the way that God was present in them and the way God saw me through. I'm one who can say that what makes me a follower of God is the fact that I do indeed need God. I admit that often, especially to my friends, uh, I, I became a Christian um, after college. And so a lot of my college friends were like, what are you up to? Uh, and, and a lot of them, in a passive-aggressive way, were like, oh, that's very cute. Uh, you, you, you may have heard this before. Like, religion's devised for the, those who need hope, right? Those who are faithless, those who are downtrodden. And so my passive-aggressive, sarcastic response is, yeah, that's exactly what, I, that's exactly what it is for me. And that's exactly why I need uh, the good news of Jesus Christ and God's story. That I, in fact, am in need of hope. That I, in fact, uh, need faith that this is not the end. Uh, and so be it. I don't think I'm, I'm embarrassed by that. Um, none of us should be. That's ultimately the story of the people of God, that we have been overcome by a good God. I need God to go out and pursue me with mercy and goodness, the way Psalm 23.6 talks about. So I don't need, I, I sow enough discord and get myself into enough trouble that I don't need a God who is simply passively good uh, or possesses like mercy as an attribute, like if I got a dating profile, it's just kind of like there, but we don't ever like see it, right? I need a God who has the same fervent pursuit um, towards me of goodness and, and justice and mercy as an enemy would seeking my life. And here's where our text for the day comes in, because that's ultimately what verse 23 is or verse 6 is telling us. Uh, this is a disclaimer. I'm not the kind of preacher who nerds out on the original Greek or the Hebrew uh, to demonstrate to y'all that I did my homework. But I, do I don't much prefer folks like that. But there are times sometimes, and this happens to be a day, uh, when the English kind of sucks, uh, doesn't do the psalm much justice. Uh, so indulge me for a second as I go there, because I think the Hebrew is quite beautiful in this poetry. The word that the NIV translates to shall follow in the Hebrew is the Hebrew verb radaf. Now radaf is actually much stronger than shall follow. It's got much more intentionality. It's got more, much more depth and strength. It is used in other contexts in the Hebrew writings to describe the pursuit of an enemy or someone who's being persecuted. So if you're being persecuted, you're getting radafed. So radaf means to pursue earnestly, to chase, to persecute. And so verse six, to close this psalm out, were to be said another way, it would be said this way. 
well, I would say it this way. Uh, God's a God who chases us down with goodness and pursues us with mercy in a relentless fashion, akin to someone persecuting me, just with good stuff. <laughs> Chased down by goodness and mercy. I don't know about you, but that is ultimately really good news for me. Really, really good news. So with this intensity to the sentence, I hope that this psalm can breathe a little bit more for y'all. Envision with me for a second what a psalm like this would do for David, if he were the writer, uh, or for the nation of Israel, as they collectively gather to recite it. David, again, no shortage of enemies he's earned. No shortage of instances uh, where he got himself into a mess. Also, no shortage of instances where he was truly oppressed and a victim, forced into the valley of the shadow of death by others. He's looking back and going at the psalm, and yet, and yet, while my life was at stake, my enemies did not have the last word. God did. I didn't see a way out of my trouble, but God saw me through by pushing me through. And God did so because God is relentless. The God of Israel, the God we need, the God I need, has overcome death, all forms of it, and has pursued me to the point that we now ultimately dwell with God forever. Amen? Amen. And so think of this same scene now with the nation of Israel coming together to recite this, with all her blunders, all the crappy things Israel did to the poor and the infirmed and the differently abled, what Israel didn't do for the alien among them, Israel's abuse of women and widows, misuse of children, misuse of the land, all the things that put Israel into exile twice. All of that is carried into this psalm. So is Israel's uh, uh, victimhood of injustice as Egypt overcame Israel and enslaved, enslaved her. All that mess, all that story, all that history, all sitting on the minds of a crowd showing up to the temple Hearing this psalm recited, I doubt it was called Psalm 23, uh, but hearing this psalm recited, sung together like an anthem, that God of Israel is relentless, that God pursues us with mercy and with goodness. It's a good scene if we can potentially imagine it. To close out Israel's story, to capstone Israel's life with all those hard times is to capstone it with the memory that God's work is not complete that it is still going, that it is ongoing, that it is still seeking nearness to us, regardless of where we are, and that God's love is not quenched. So for Israel to proclaim that is to proclaim a witness that God is faithful. And so it is true for Forefront as well, to proclaim the witness, to be a witness that God is good and that God is faithful. So how does this translate to us today, right? Uh, Sunday, April, what is it, 7th? Seventh. Six? Seventh. Seventh. That's what I said. Uh, well, I think it translates quite uh, cleanly, actually. Because it, is this not what we're trying to do as a church body when we show up together on Sundays? Like, isn't this the space that we are trying to create here, a space where we can testify to the fact that we've been recipients of God's mercy? And by creating this space every Sunday at church, whether it be Forefront or Common Ground or others, Collectively so, not necessarily everybody, like individually, but collectively so, this room is filled with those who say that our very lives are evidence of God's goodness abiding in and around us. There's a whole lot of talk about what the church is and what it should be, especially today as the church marries itself to uh, this administration. 
um, what, should, what should be done in this space, how we should act, etc. In my opinion, and take it or leave it, the church is an institution that should do a lot of things, right? Cop-out answer. But those things will be different based on where the church is and when the church is, right? So think of it as like levers, like how we're best to respond to what, what's happening in our culture. But I would say certainly the church should pursue peace and equity in the neighborhood. That seems like a, like a bare minimum, right? And I would call that Christian witness. Certainly also the church should be a safe space where we each get to come as we are and listen to a simple message of hope that God's goodness is looking different in each of our lives, right? So some would call that Christian hospitality, boundary crossing. And certainly the church, I would say as a third thing, should be a place that consistently points to God's work as in not yet concluded, but yet bending towards justice and participation. And that ultimately things that are broken now will be pursued by this God of verse six to the point where they're restored, right? That's our hope. That's what I would call our Christian hope. So there are a lot of things that the church should, uh, should be able to do and say and uh, where it should be. But I, I wanna be also real for a second. A lot of us right now are just trying to survive in this room. A lot of us are just coming from a lot of hurt, not least from this very institution. And even just showing up to church is a prophetic witness that you haven't given up. So let me say this to you. If that's the space that you're in, uh, that is perfectly acceptable. In fact, that should be celebrated. From forefront to common ground to all churches, we all need to hold space that holds the gamut. The zealous, faithful one, the skeptic, the mystic, the uncertain, the bruised and tired, the done, the almost done, all of the above. So from my vantage point, I would say that what the church absolutely needs to do as a bare minimum is hold space for each of us to journey and meander on the faith journey as we see fit. So the beautiful thing about that very joined life that we can share this space, and, and again, I think this is imperative to our gatherings, is that we continue to collectively, again, keep that word in mind for a second, testify to God's goodness and mercy pursuing us, to God's relentless love, to the unlimited invitation of God wanting to be near to us. This, friends, is something we absolutely must always testify to when we gather, and like the psalm is inviting us to do today. Now, again, I say collectively because we don't all need to be in the same headspace or the same moment in our faith to participate in such a psalm. I'm certainly not all the time or even right this very minute. I struggled tremendously uh, through this sermon because I, ha I myself kind of find myself in a valley right now, working through internally if I believe that God is good and God is merciful, right? And yet I'm the pastor meant to be testifying to this. This is why I cop out at Common Ground and we just read a bunch of Psalms so that I don't have to. <laughs> I'm practicing what I'm preaching. So I'm working hard to really trust that God's mercy is pursuing me, uh, both as I deal with my own life and I look out to the world. Uh, and there's no shortage of things that could testify to us that maybe goodness and mercy is not in fast pursuit. And yet, yet, that is exactly why I need this space every Sunday and why I need y'all and why y'all need y'all and why we need the Psalms and the reminder that God is still on the move with y'all. And, and I'm not gonna stop saying y'all. I said this last service, I'm, I'm from New York. I just think y'all is the easiest word to use. It should always be used. Um, okay. 
See, I done lost my spot. <laughs> okay, so y'all need y'all, right? We'll pick it back up there. The good news that you may have in your life is needed by your siblings here at Forefront. And those siblings that are going through the valley need you and you need them. And they're just, maybe you're in a season where you're just straight celebrating God's, God's like activity in your life. Amen to that. Uh, if you are, I would say let your cup overflow with the joy and confidence of God so that hopefully others can be near enough to you that their cup starts to flow and gets filled up and vice versa. And this ultimately is what I'm saying the church is. And this is ultimately what I think the Psalm 23 is concluding in verse 3. To gather as a body, each of us in different spaces, going through different things, feeling a kind of way, all holding it together. Each, hopefully, with their own story of a time when they saw God really pull through for them. And they're singing, we are singing this psalm together. Telling a story drenched in mercy. So that their siblings, our siblings, walking through this valley right now, can take another step. By saying God will pull through, because God is relentlessly pursuing us with mercy and goodness, um, is not to mute anyone's pain in this room or gloss over any sort of indiscretion. Rather, the story that you're living with is affirmed. The place in the world that you're living in is affirmed. And yet Psalm 3 notes the season, yea, though, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, right? And it is not David or the writer expressing, hey, I was like in the shadow for like a minute, and then I like just made it through. Right? Like that's totally nonsense. That's nonsensical. Unfortunately, we have a lot of churches just kind of preaching that. Like, oh, you have like a day of pain? Okay, turn the page, like put some sugar-coated sugar you know, stuff on it, and your life is all better. I don't know if it works for you. It doesn't work for me. Um, but each of us uh, are pursued relentlessly by God. And so it's not to mute your season. It's not to mute your pain. It's not to mute your story. Um, but it is the hope that we do to gather as a community to say like what Colossians 1 says, we hope that all things can be reconciled and we believe in a God that's going to reconcile all things. It's just not yet. So a couple suggestions for you to consider as Psalm 23 uh, comes to a close for Forefront. Maybe keep a th couple things in your mind and maybe walk away with an action point. First, uh, ac actively work to see God in your midst. And actively work to remember the times you feel like God's goodness and mercy overcame you and brought you peace in a valley, brought you through it. Because if you're anything like me, you're quick to forget. I'm quick to forget, plus I'm cynical. <laughs> so I'm prone to bad news in a situation just as much as anyone else is. I tend to dwell there other than hope. I often don't see the silver lining. That's why I need other people, uh, like my partner around me, to, to balance me out. But I would say at bare minimum, if you're a social worker, an organizer, or any sort of accomplice in God's justice on the ground, you're gonna need to believe that God is on the move and that God is good. Because the nearer we get to the structural, systemic evils that are per perpetrated in this world, the bigger it's gonna look and the longer that that valley is going to appear. So I say as point one, work hard to see God at work and work harder to remember the times that God already has been at work in your life. Uh, point two, tell those stories, right? First is remembering. Uh, second is tell those stories of God's mercy and goodness. Live the psalm. Become 
storytellers, become merchants of grace, become songwriters, poets, etc. Like some of these psalms that serve as 3,000-year-old testimonies to that final chapter of God's story being not yet, uh, while we may be going through the valley of death, the relentlessness that this psalm speaks of uh, needs to be heard um, by yourself, like where you need to remember, and you need to tell others. God is at work. God's goodness is intersectional, diverse, and persistent. So let our stories collectively as a group pursue that sort of good news. We need to do this for one another. We need to first remember the times God's goodness overcame us. Then we need to talk about it, tell others, celebrate it, write a song, testify about it, raise our hands to it, get excited about it, offer ourselves and our life as living witnesses of God's unrelenting pursuit. Quick caveat. If you're anything like me, you're suspicious or hesitant of overly positive Christianity, right? I hope you are. Um, Maybe because you came from uh, an overly positive church that smiled and celebrated all the time while they excluded women from the pulpit, remained silent on rape culture, uh, said nothing on black and brown siblings being separated, sifted, shot at, demonized, incarcerated. Churches that yelled and had a smoke machine. I said... I said smoke machine last service, and I was like, oh my God, is there a, is there a smoke <laughs> Confirm there isn't. Okay. So churches that, yell, <laughs> churches that yell and have a, and have a smoke machine and great light show, um, but who uh, continue to limit the participation and the dignity of our LGBTQIA plus siblings in those spaces. Where the poor are in need, and yet are demonized and shamed. The list of those kinds of churches, uh, I don't want to be a tribalist, but the list is long, and they'll go unnamed for now. Uh, But that is not what I'm asking you for here, not at all. I'm trying not to say any of this from my position of privilege or ignore anything that you're going through. I just want to say that God is still at work. I just want to say that like Psalm 23, And what I think Psalm 23 points to, there is no better story to make this case than the story of Jesus. Jesus the Christ. You may have heard that Jesus came down to earth and walked your walk because you sinned so much, Christian, that God needed to sacrifice someone. Pretty brutal. You may have heard that you put Jesus on the cross. Your fault. You're also told that there's something like original sin, right? So from like day one, you're not even aware and you're already putting someone on the cross. It's not the best good news. Like I don't, I don't know that that's gonna win anyone for Christ. Your screw-ups got an innocent man killed. Sure, that's one way of communicating this story of love. I don't think it's a very good one. I don't think it's one that's gonna be sustainable as you evangelize just by living your life out in the market. For me, I come from a different theological stream. I would assert that it's God's desire to be near to our pain, to take on the burden that we have taken on, shame, dislocation, exile, even unto death, so that all of those things could be ultimately defeated, ultimately. So that rather than me putting Jesus on the cross, actually it's God who opted to pursue me, the way verse talks about, even unto death, through the valley of the shadow of death, literal death for Jesus, the Christ. And now we all have life through Jesus because we are now dwelling in the storehouses of God. This is ultimately what Psalm 23 tells us to do. Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death 
and relates to us there. Beat it for us and said, y'all, you're going to make it through this. I will pursue this path all the way through. And you, sibling, you, child, are going to dwell with me forever and ever. There is no end. Friends, that's good news. At least I hope it is to you that we are not alone in this and that brokenness is not the end. Our God pieces things back together like a mosaic. Our God restores. And Psalm 23 helps us better understand the character of that God. And verse 6 shows us just how far that God is willing to go to make room for us in the kingdom. Keep telling your story, sibling, of God's relentless pursuit because others need to see it and hear it. I've been blessed watching you from afar in Manhattan as I try to grow this fragile, hopeful church that there's actually a space for a just and generous faith in New York City that includes, that affirms, that sees you for who you are, and that like God pursuing us through the valley, that we might be relentless with our goodness and our mercy as the institution of church to perhaps... Recapture just the tiniest bit of credibility. <laughs> Christian, keep telling your story. Others need to hear it. If you're in a valley, keep asking others for their story. Because you need to hear it. We need each other. We need Psalm 23 to bring it out of the depths and bring God's nearness and dwelling to us. I hope that this is good news that you can lean into today. I hope this is good news that can remind you why you're a Christian with all the baggage of that term why we do what we do here on Sunday, and what we continue to hope for. Let us not lose hope if we're in the valley. Let us push on through, for God is chasing us into goodness and mercy. Tell others about that. Amen. Will you pray with me real quick? God, we await restoration. We see glimpses of it in our life, but it is still not yet. God, bring the peace of Jesus, the peace of dwelling near you, the mercy and goodness that come with your character. Let all of that chase us into a season where all things are reconciled. And until that season, we still look to you. Amen.